the Black Shore Arts Hour. Hello, this is Can You Believe It, the 84th episode of the Black Shore Arts Hour. As promised last time, we are bringing to you some more delicious chat about writing off of the writing workshop that we did as part of the Ones with Arts Fringe. So that is coming up very shortly. But first, we have a rather terrifying instalment of Stratton Alex Do Art. Stratton Alex Do Art. Yes, art. Oh. Oh, I mean, it it looks lovely, mate. Today, our intrepid art explorers, Alex and Strat, are going to be tackling the jungle that is the haiku. Yes, a form of poetry. Yes. Off of the Japan. Yes. Obviously, originally for things written in Japanese, uh, but it it is doable in the English language. Um, Matt, do you know anything about it? Yeah, uh, so I know that it is, uh, what makes it a haiku is the arrangement of syllables. Correct. So it has to be 17 syllables total. Yeah. And the first line has to be five, and then the second line has to be seven, and then the third line has to be five again. Correct. And traditionally, each line should be able to stand alone. So it should still make sense and not need to run into the following line. The we're, According to Wikipedia... <laughs> Um, <laughs> the place of all the knowledge. Um, the essence of haiku is cutting. So it's about juxtaposition and segments. Yeah, put put these three images together yeah. and see what feeling and imagery results. Mm, evoke those feelings and R- images. Rather than try to write a sentence that is 17 syllables yeah. long and break it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, right, okay. you're both looking really quite popular. No, 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 no. I, I was just trying to remember my favourite haiku, um, and I think I've remembered it correctly as writing a poem in 17 syllables is very difficult. Uh, <laughs> nice. But, um, yeah. Yes, so... But that would be the much more westernised version oh, yeah. of running it all. Yeah, that's, that's just a funny joke, yeah. isn't That's it? just a little joke yeah. on the fact that it's got 17 syllables and you can't fit that yeah. easily into a... Yeah, um, that's yeah. right. It's very hard. Yeah. Very tricky. That Tr- would have yeah, that would have done it. But yeah. I think it's made it's made more humorous by the fact he hasn't been able to finish the word God, yeah. that it, describing the uh, task at hand. I see. Yeah. So he was never trying to write a haiku after all. Then maybe may, yeah, you could ask that question. Was he even trying to write a haiku? I appreciate this joke so much more now. It's been explained. Me too. <laughs> Maybe we should make that one of the art sec- segments. Ruining jokes <laughs> <laughs> by over-explaining them. Because <laughs> uh, when the chicken crosses the... <laughs> <laughs> so, we are going to guide you a little bit um, and give you some parameters by asking you to theme it around birthdays. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, that I mean, that still leaves you open to a lot of things, but mm-hmm. it should hopefully have some buzzwords popping into your head as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, do you have any advice? Uh, just like write some stuff down and play around with some images, yeah. and don't worry too much about the syllables to start with, but then cut, trim it down. Mhm, mhm. Good, good approach potentially. Nice. Uh, do you, either of you, Strat and Alex, have any questions? So it's no. five, oh, seven, yeah. and five. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good. And that's fixed. And we're all clear on how syllables work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? We've all played charades. <laughs> 
Uh, and we're going to give you some time. 20 minutes. 20, 20 minutes. minutes, yeah. 20 minutes, okay. 20 minutes it is. All right, your time starts now. Stay tuned to find out how that pans out. In the meantime, we're going to dive into the new writing workshop that we ran as part of the Wandsworth Arts Fringe. And this is towards the end of the session where we opened up questions to our participants. Speakers include myself, Ellie Pitkin, Vicky Weston, Matt Boothman, a.k.a. MJ Starling, and our guest speakers, Kat Roberts and Chris Buxey. So this is an opportunity for you to ask any questions that you want of uh, either the three lovely speakers who started the session, so that's Chris and Matt and Kat, um, or you can ask questions of myself and Vicky who um, can kind of come at a more, from a more practical perspective of um, being uh, playmakers and stagers. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got experience of staging um, plays and um, shorts and also of um, radio plays. Uh, no film or TV experience but we can use our imaginations if you like Um, so if you have any specific questions for any of us now is your time Um, I wanted to ask well all all of you actually um, if there was um, a play because I'm mostly into plays like massively um, what that you'd wish wish that you'd written or you just saw and like afterwards you were just like wow that was incredible like it would be like what, what was it? Or, or, or TV show, but like, you know, some, something that really made you think, wow, that per- that writer just, you know, nailed it. <laughs> mm, I've got one if everybody else You can start, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pomona by Alistair McDowell. That's a great choice. Good choice. Oh, such a good choice. Which I kind of, I came out of the theatre from that reeling, thinking, oh my God, you actually can be that weird on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and that entertain like that yeah. thrilling and entertaining mm-hmm. and, it, and it does that thing that we talked to touched on a little bit in the um, the panel earlier about um, being really uh, free with time and scene boundaries uh, and that kind of thing that it felt like something that could only have been done on the stage mm-hmm. um, which is something I don't always feel watching mm-hmm. plays did you see X I didn't see X no I missed that okay I, I haven't forgiven him for that <laughs> no, no. <laughs> sorry no, I, so I, I'm, I'm going to trust you that that's mm-hmm. good but yeah X just yeah it kind of descended into kind of it, it, it left more questions than answers <laughs> yeah it was kind of at the end I was like what, 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 yeah. what's going on I don't yeah. understand what happened and why is there a little child coming out of like a, a fridge <laughs> I, I found myself days later like, thinking about well maybe that's because such and such and yeah um, I, and I was just like I mean, I really wanted to see it because it's like sci-fi and theatre, and that hardly ever happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just it, it raised more questions than it answered, and I wanted some kind of conclusion, not necessarily a happy ending or like you know they're they're all on the space station happily ever after. I wanted to know why they were there and what what, I, what was the conclusion. I'm always interested in pieces that do that because I get it just as frustrated yeah. and cross. I like to know the answers. This is why it's yeah. fun when we go to the theatre together. Yeah. Because yeah. it's my favourite thing in the world to be like, no answer. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie's just it. freaking out. Yeah. Oh, I get so angry. I think I just, I'm like, well, it's just lazy writing. They just, yeah. they just oh, it's like, up to the audience I to decide. I like, ran for like half an hour afterwards and I'm like, this is amazing. But I do recognise, <laughs> yeah. whilst it's not what I 
love yeah. it, it gets a reaction and it gets people Definitely. talking and you know you're saying days later you were still thinking well maybe it was because of this and maybe because of this mm-hmm. and that yeah. that's for some writers that's that's an 100% success yes. they've hit what they wanted um it drives I guess, you mad I mean, it just drives <laughs> you mad yeah um, I saw how to hold your breath as it, Excuse as my French speaks like bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't remember who wrote it. Um, we can Google it. It, but like, it didn't linger in my mind. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think as a director, I find it quite frustrating because I, also it do, it kind of means if you if you're in a position to have an exchange with the writer if they're alive and working with you, mm. um, then it it's difficult to be like okay, but can you tell me what actually happened? <laughs> because how am I going to direct it if I don't know the answers? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you have writers who are like, oh, I don't know either. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a choice. It's a choice yeah. to make if you want to be that kind of writer or not. How angry do you want to make people? <laughs> yeah. Anything like TV, like you mentioned Aaron Sorkin. The West, West Wing, Wing. Yeah. is one that came into my mind. Just one in terms of, I just really like his dialogue um, and I enjoy the way that he makes things both funny and dramatic and almost simultaneously in the, the kind of balance of walk and talk. Um, but also just how plausible and intelligent those characters were. And I really believe they were running the country. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah the Crucible in terms of plays is one for me, a bit of a yeah. classic there, but um, the themes in that um, are universal and, and it's just complete. It's, it never doesn't make sense when you stage it. It's always... Got it's, relevant. Yeah, it's, it's always relevant. And to, to write something like that, to be performed forever is such an amazing legacy so yeah you want that I want yeah <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that clever are there any kind of questions around um, the practicalities of getting work staged or writing for specific um, arenas venues I don't mean arenas like the O2 I mean like <laughs> <laughs> different formats of writing how to get your work out to people kind of a one I'm not sure if it is to do with that so, okay. I, so I'm, I'm an actor and I do a lot of movement-based stuff and I never know, I guess from a practical sense, how much to write that into mm. my plays because for me there are sequences that I view as moving the story along mm-hmm. but I never know, for instance, like a family decorating a Christmas tree is one of my features and I never know how much to like have a page of so-and-so gets annoyed at so-and-so because so it's giving you... Are we talking about writing for stage? Yeah, sorry for stage. Yeah, so as a director reading scripts, um, I think the general consensus that I go with is um, too much restricts the director and the cast mm-hmm. uh, because then they've got nowhere to go with it. It's It would be become prescribed, like you're ticking all the boxes. So it gives you nowhere to go in terms of character development, um, in terms of developing character relationships, and in terms of um, creating space for the design and direction to come together to an overall aesthetic because you then as a writer come to it with a very clear this is how it's going to work this is how it's going to look and that means you'll then you and the text become very closed off to working with anyone else if you were writing a script where you're like I'm going to write it direct it choreograph it cast it yeah fine because then you do you you can literally replicate the image you have in your head and you've got that and you can do it if you don't, if you aren't going to do those things, 
even if you know the people you're going to work with, you still need to allow them creative space to do their job. So if there are moments that are super important um, for the audience, like this character puts the star on top of the Christmas tree, um, or you know this, this character shoots this character a nasty look because you need that to set up that relationship because it's the opening scene and you need to show that those two characters are in conflict and there's no dialogue to reflect that fine but it's all stuff that's key to action yeah. it's key to so we I would refer to it as plot propelling yeah. mm-hmm. so if it doesn't move the plot along um, then the director doesn't need to know about it um, and you have opportunities if you're working as a live writer and you're working with the director to feed into the rehearsal process or to feed into pre-rehearsal meetings with the director and say okay so in this scene where I've written here movement sequence this is what I've got in my head now you take that and you get to interpret it um, and with movement sequences in particular I would say that um, you you can have opportunities to meet with the choreographer or the director to get your meaning across but actually the, the best thing to do in your script is to put what you want the audience to feel yeah so if you're saying, okay, this piece of movement is meant to make the audience feel sad because it represents the death of this character, for example, then you need to just literally put that sentence in the script. Um, and if you then have your own ideas about it because you happen to have a background in movement, then you can flag that up to the production team and say, I'd like, you know, I'd like involvement in that section. Um, but it means that if your script became super successful and years down the line people are paying the, for the rights to produce their own Amjam production, then they still have, this is how the audience should feel. Yeah. Or this is how we're aiming to make them feel, this is what we're aiming to represent. Um, it's really tricky. It's not an easy task. Um, yeah, I just want to add that like a lot of that is to do with trust. Mm. If you are handing that... like don't hand your script over to a director who you don't trust yeah. to do a good job with it like and that's going to be tempting I think as a like when you're an early stage writer you just want your work to be performed by anyone but I think that that actually is really important because you don't want some like and you can develop trust you don't have to go in and be like oh I'm only going to give this to somebody who's already a close friend mm. but have somebody who you know you, you're going to be able to work with yeah. if you're doing a collaborative process yeah like the other the other option is as a writer is that you're like I did my writing and whatever they're going to do with this is fine because that's the you know the director the actors they have artistic license over what I've written and the benefit of that is that it's more stageable so if you're feeling precious about it I would say like work with someone try and find someone to work with and do this kind of collaborative thing that Ellie's describing and that's often the way we work with writers that's typically the way we work with writers but if you're super prescriptive in your script about exactly how something has to work or exactly how many actors have to play the characters and you're not like leaving the door open for some interpretation, then a lot of producing companies or producing theatres might read that script and be like, we can't do this, we've not got a stage big enough. Yeah, yeah. so another thing is writing for venues. So we, exactly. we had, um, when we did Gormenghast, our first big production, I said to the writers, just write what you want. Yeah. Like, write what you would love to happen. So one of the one of the directions in the script was, a, a thousand cats swarm the stage. <laughs> Genuinely. A chandelier Genuinely. descends from Genuinely. the ceiling. Yeah. Genuinely. Quite fantastical. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I had to read that as a director and go, okay, well, we don't have any funding. And we're doing <laughs> and we it in a church. A so... So let's. What could we do to recreate this? Yeah. So I thought, well, what what are we looking for for the audience? Thousand cats yeah. swarm the stage. That sounds pretty overwhelming, and there's going to be a lot of cat noise. Let's do this with sound. Yeah. Chandelier descends from the ceiling. What are we looking for? We're looking for grandeur. Okay, let's have a meeting with the set designer and talk about what elements we can put into the set to get that. 
So it's about translating um, specific bits in the script into meaning. So, you know, you, you need to have the words in there that give that. So a thousand cats swarm the stage. You, you know from thousand and swarm how that's going to make people feel. So you can interpret that. A chandelier descending from the ceiling, you know what that translates to. You can kind of see it. So it's also about putting meaning behind stage direction. So it doesn't necessarily need to be so-and-so exits. Mm. It can be, you know, so-and-so storms off. So it's almost something more creative that the director yeah. can interpret rather than yeah. something yeah. specific. And, and then allow them to do that interpretation. Because that's what I would say is like just purely from a really practical point of view, if you are... Su- like. We are none of us are Jez Butterworth. <laughs> we cannot be like a live goose will be on stage for the duration. Like we just can't do it, right? Like it's not going to happen. If you are a, if you are Jez Butterworth, then you can be really specific about stuff, and everyone will interpret you literally and have an actual baby cast in your show. But when you're starting out, you need to make something that is as um, kind of malleable by a director and a producing company as possible, and that could be produced in a tiny little black box theatre mm-hmm. with 50 seats mm-hmm. because chances are that's probably the kind of venue that it's going to get produced in or even let's say be adapted for radio because that's an even kind of cheaper and easier way to produce work for people to consume so like the more flexible your work can be in that way and the less prescriptive you are um, the more likely it is to be staged yeah. and that's just the kind of like hard and fast rules of fringe theatre isn't there the sort of general rule no more than about five or six characters yes. as well. well or have 20 characters but make it so they can be played by two Multiple, people yeah. 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 like you know so yeah. th- don't necessarily limit yourself with characters but definitely think about what how, how, how many, many bodies actors, are. like yeah. we've had scripts submitted to us before where they're like there are 14 characters and then the Andrew sisters turned up and there's <laughs> this thing and there's that thing. and it's like how many wait how many so this is a 57 character cast with like would need a you know whatever this is crazy and we're just that's immediately going in the no pile like Nobody, no fringe producing company or theatre is going to give that a second look because it's just not. And actually, it's like Kat mentioned earlier. You might get to a point with the draft where you go, "Oh, these characters only say like two lines each." For a fringe production, no one's going to employ someone to do two lines and then that's their job for the night done. Um, So, can it be doubled? Should it be doubled? If the answer to both of those or either of those is no, then then lose the characters and convey the point that needs to be made in a different way in the script yeah, yeah usually that actually highlights somewhere where you've yeah. gone wrong and yeah. you're not telling the story correctly yeah. you've just brought in a yeah. random person just to, to try and make it work yeah. 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 I, mean, I saw a play um, last week where um, it's called Quarty it's at the Bunker it's, it's, there's one character who's only in one scene and on stage for a total of about 15 minutes and I just felt really sorry for the actress yeah. Yeah. and I thought it could have been done without her to well, be it's, yeah. it's kind of a, a and like an outdated convention yeah. just as kind of because yeah. you get it in you know Arthur Miller all yeah. the immigration officers turn up for 10 seconds yeah. Yeah. and they love to do that just throw in a character yeah. at the end it's just, it just not financially viable in no. today's market essentially no. and I know that seems commercial and terrible but that is like so if you are looking if you want to write a play just for people to read or to do on radio or something like that it's totally doable but if you want to see a play staged it has to be practical like it has to be staged and you will have an actor who resents you yes exactly. I was, I was just you can even minutes to get on stage and then she's off in like yeah. no it's rubbish if you really need a character with just one or two lines you can have somebody just record a, a voiceover yep. to be yeah we've done that yeah. off stage so we've done that Andrew Crane's yeah <laughs> Andy Crane has played a number of minor characters in he's, our, he's our sound designer could I just um, say 
one other thing about stage directions, just that there's often opportunities in, in mm-hmm. stage directions to tell people something about your characters. And like you say, they should be active and propel the story forward. So like you're talking about decorating a Christmas tree, immediately came into my mind, maybe somebody puts on some decorations, maybe somebody else comes in and Moves rearranges them. Yeah. them. <laughs> you know, that tells you something about... So you about, can qualify that in your Yeah, because it tells you something about who they are. Yeah, and right. that's actually quite... It's, it's when you start to get into the detailed levels of, you know the looks they give each other and the way oh. in which they're moving them and then the positioning on the tree and then like literally leaving nothing for us to I think it was just because I went to another workshop and they were like every one of your stage directions shouldn't be more than like a few words or a line and for me it's like okay mm. so do I go the de- they decorate the tree which shows the tension between the family or do I need to qualify that a bit more by saying you know mum and dad are allies against their kids or just a little bit of descriptive detail that I try and make it active yeah. if you can show yeah. it how can you show that yeah. there's tension between yeah, right actual yeah. directions by mm. what they do with that yeah. Christmas tree yeah but I would keep it so that it's succinct so it's like you say the, 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 the kids put the decorations on and the mum follows them around moving them to more suitable locations yeah. Yeah. like that's your that's, that's your one liner yeah. of the action that's happening yeah. but it's not oh little Johnny puts them on the lower branch but yeah. it's mum yeah. frowns and wags her finger and yeah. then picks it up and then moves it to the top one yeah. so it's the thinking of stage directions as a brief yes. rather than as yeah. a blow by blow description yeah. yeah and accepting that the director and the cast might not do it yeah yeah. So you write, I think this is the thing is that you know you're using phrases like what should I be doing? You can write as many stage directions as yeah. you want, Liam. Like you can you can absolutely go to town, but Ellie's point stands: a director and a cast may completely disregard them, and you yeah. might have to be okay with that. And the second <laughs> thing is that maybe you're writing loads of stage directions because the dialogue's kind of challenging, and you're yeah. putting off actually. What a a really good thing to do is it is just like Vicky said: write write everything you want to, um, and then go to someone you know who's good at editor and say right. And where the stage directions are pretty lengthy, what can you have a read, read and give me feedback, or can you have a read and give me your suggested condensed yeah. version? Yeah. Because I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm always very happy to do. Yeah, I was going to say, directors, it's just are, like, great to do directors are good to do that because you can just read through and be like, oh, you've written a whole paragraph, you need this one sentence that yeah. sums that all up. Yeah, directors will be like, don't tell me how to do my job, don't tell me how to do my job, don't tell me how to do it. And it's just like, yeah. you go, go through it and be like, this is the one thing I needed to know, and I would have worked the rest of this out. Yeah. I think it's just because I like, so like Peter Pan, J.M. Barry's script of that. He has so much creative writing in his stage directions yeah. that, like, Hook is like his hair falls like melting black candles, <laughs> and it's not it, it it's offering the essence of something yeah. which is quite interesting, um, and I quite obviously with limitations, but I quite like offering something. You know, yeah. a thousand cats run through yeah. Yeah. gives you. It's not a stage direction. It's a kind of a feel setting, or yeah. a tone. I think. Um, it's just getting that balance right. My kind of go-to is that it's the writer's um, it's the it's the writer's responsibility to tell, and it's the director's responsibility to show. Mm-hmm. So you're giving me all the information I need, and then I am working with the cast to then show the audience. It's worth just reading a lot of published scripts yeah. as well, because the like the the way different writers approach stage directions yeah. is so varied, and totally some people will be will be that lyrical, and some people will be really really technical and, yeah. and brief and just leave everything to the to the team so it's just worth like reading widely and seeing you know oh that that feels like too much to me but that this feels like my sweet spot 
I, th- I think um, just to chip in on stage directions, uh, Vicky basically said everything that I was, was going to say. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. No, that's all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, my, my philosophy is very much, um, I, I write sort of quite a few stage directions, but also it's my philosophy is just not to be precious about it, basically, yes, as, as we said. Hand it over and uh, yeah, things will get used, some things won't get used. But as well as working with a director you trust, I think it's very important to work with a director who's on the same wavelength. Yes. Who you see, you know, who's sort of, you know, who's, who sees where you're going with the yeah. story, who sort of gets the story. And yeah, that can be tricky, you know, if you're trying to break in, into it. But, I mean, if you have any sort of a choice, then, yeah, it, because if, you're, if it's a director you don't necessarily trust to do it justice and you don't, and who's on a completely different wavelength and just doesn't get where you're going with it, then everyone's going to have a bad time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not going to be a good show in the end. Like, it really isn't going to be. The chances no, of being so. a good show are pretty slim. Yeah. So if there are people that you want to work with, either that you know or you sort of tangentially know or you don't know at all but you've seen those they're working really like, it's always great to just drop them an email and say, I've seen your work or I'd act, you know, we've met several times, whatever. Um, it'd be great to work with you. Would you be open to be sending me yeah. a script? And then if they say yes, then you can send them a script um, and you know say it would be great to have have a chat about this, mm-hmm. and then have a really informal meeting with them, have a chat about the work, and you will know within the first sort of ten minutes really whether they get it or not, and whether there's someone you want to work with. And there's no obligation from that point onwards to ever see them again if you don't want to. <laughs> if you've got bad vibes, then you don't need to pursue it. But yeah. um, that the, really the only way to work out if it's going to work is is to chat with them and talk about the work. And from a practical perspective, again, like as writers, if you're looking to get plays staged, having favourite writers is good because you, you, you think, oh, I like the way that person does things or that, that this and the other. But having favourite directors is even better. And knowing the kinds of directors that you think direct things in a start, like if you start to be conscious of that when you're seeing plays and like noting who the director is, then you'll either like maybe one day you'll get to work with that person, but also you can start to when you're working with other directors be thinking like, are they working in the style of that director that I liked and who did that play that I thought yeah. was done really sensitively or I thought was done in the way. And that also I if liked. a director is, you know, maybe um, unavailable or is someone who's who's working on like higher profile stuff than you're currently doing, they might have suggestions of people who have assistant directed them for example who yeah. might be working in the same arena and would be really good <coughs> to work with so they can put yeah. you in touch with people people are generally pretty happy to be approached and feel flattered by being able to people love to help people yeah. makes you feel good so don't be afraid to just contact people out of the blue yeah. um, we're going to have to sort of bring it to close if anyone has any burning questions then you can um, hover and ask us while we tidy up um, <laughs> and you can always email us get in touch and we'd be happy to meet up with you guys and um, you know Feel free to send us your work with, yeah. with specific questions about what feedback. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you very much. We hope yeah. you've enjoyed the session. Thank you. I hope you listening at home enjoyed the session too. And that went for you guys as well. You can get in touch with us if you've got questions about writing and we will do our best to help. You can contact us in all of the ways featured in this next little sting. The Blackshaw Art Channel. Follow us on Twitter at Blackshaw Update. Watch us on the Instagrams at Blackshaw Theatre. Like us on the Facebook at Blackshaw Online. And find all the things at blackshawonline.com. Now let's head back to the art studio to find out how Strat and Alex are getting on with their haiku crafting. Strat and Alex do art. Yes, art. Oh, I mean, it it looks lovely, mate. Welcome back after your hard haikuing. We have haikued hard.
High and low. High and low. Yes, I think. Yeah. Both, both highbrow and indeed the mm. lower of the two brows. So you have both written quite a lot of haikus, but you're going to, <laughs> you're going we to got choose a bit carried away. what you believe to be the best of the bunch. Yeah. And um, then if you wish to regale us with some others, then you can. So let's hear your chosen haiku, please. Where is it? Whichever one would you like to go first? Alex? I will go to first. Be fair, I can't find mine. Yeah. <laughs> Good work, Stratton. Um, yeah, there we go. Oh, it was on the first page. Okay. No, you... Yeah, hold your piece of paper still, though. Holding still. Good. Alex, are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) From the top. Okay. Tingling excitement. You accepting and smiling. The wheel of change turns. Ooh. It's got cycles. Yeah. Can you read just line one? Tingling excitement. Okay, now just line two. You accepting and smiling. And now just the final line. The wheel of change turns. Yeah, lovely. So they're each standalone lines. That first line could be about a very different thing altogether. (laughs) (laughs) Like a roller coaster, for example. (laughs) Or some really good art. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right, my beatman. I tingle with your art. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, Strat, whenever you're ready, we'd like to hear your chosen haiku. Sure. I opened the box. Inside, I found all my dreams. You know me so well. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. What was in the box? (laughs) What's in the box, Strat? (laughs) What? The severed head. Um, (laughs) You know me so well. Uh, and can I hear the line separately? Line one, please. I opened the box. Mm-hmm. And now line two. Inside, I found all my dreams. And the final line. You know me so well. Oh. Yeah. Do you want to dedicate that to anyone? <sighs> nah. <laughs> it's, his, it's his wife cackling in the back. <laughs> You ain't getting shit for your next birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, great. Well, um, gosh, they're both really good. They are. What's your immediate thoughts? My immediate thought is Alex. Okay. Because I feel like, in his case, they they both did that the cutting thing that we said was important in haiku, but I feel like Alex's had the essence of that like took it further the juxtaposition rather than the, just separate statements yeah, 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 yeah the yeah, actual yeah, yeah. contrast yes, yes I would agree actually I think technically Alex's was probably more haiku-y <laughs> um, a technical term so I'm going to vote for Alex but I would like to put in a special word yeah. for Strats because I did well up a little bit <laughs> yeah. well I think we all went oh yeah so I think that that response should definitely yeah, yeah. I'm pleased with yeah, I like that, that Alex's was sort of like while Strats was a narrative and a narrative that made us feel that way, uh, uh, Alex's was uh, three images, which is what I feel like I, that's what I want out of a haiku. Okay. It gave you three, three images of um, feelings. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, well done both of you though. I mean, really good. How did you find the experience? Addictive. Very addictive. Did you reach a transcendental point where everything that you heard sounded like a haiku? Well, I think I think we can all agree that everything is haiku. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can we agree that? Yes. Yes, we can. No, I, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, comparing it to a similarly uh, short um, poem format like a limerick, I actually preferred haiku over that because it is, I don't know, there seemed to be something... Something very, very immediately satisfying. About yes, it. very simple and clean and precise, which um, I enjoyed thoroughly. Great. Mm-hmm. So do you guys want to regale us with uh, some of your... Yes, please. Um, second choices. <laughs> second, third. Second, third, fourth. I mean, Strat's basically covered two sides of an A3 piece of paper. Yep. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to put out one of your favourites? Yeah. I, I got stuck on the, as, as like a particular starting sentence. I've got like four or five that just start with the same one. Just because I don't know why it's such as it's not particularly funny. I just like saying this is my balloon a lot. Okay. So I've got this is my balloon. I bought it for my birthday. Why am I alone? Oh, <laughs> sad ones. This is my balloon. It floats above my party, looking down on friends. This is that my balloon. Sad. I hold tightly to its string, and you hold my hand. Aww. It's a lovely little image. And then I have. This is my balloon. It says that I am 20. The balloon tells lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, we um, hear some, here's some Alex haiku. Okay, the other, the other one that I thought was quite amusing was... Well, this is my first one, actually. The candles and cake. Wrapping paper littering. Death a year closer. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I did one uh, inspired by presents that you get from a, a certain family member early. <laughs> it's... it's okay, she's definitely not listening. <laughs> it's my grandma. My mater- no, maternal, my paternal grandma. It's put on the ribbon, wrapping paper falls away. What on earth is that? <laughs> <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> and then there are lots of other really poor ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, Self-flagellation can be a painful pastime unless you use wool. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good health and safety announcement there. <laughs> I've got another birthday-related one. Yeah. Um, party disaster. You can cry if you want to. Older and wiser. Nice. Oh. Yeah. Well, I think you absolutely stormed that one, guys. I think so. And maybe you both have a new hobby. Absolutely. Sing happy birthday. But only if you can sing. Leave if you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Mine got quite aggressive for it. It's quite a good parting shot for the segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, although I did like the one um, that Matt mentioned to us whilst you were writing, uh, which is a sort of well-known nonsense version, which is haikus are easy, but sometimes they don't make sense. Refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) So you can all enjoy that. Such whimsy amongst those haikus. A lot less scary than I'd anticipated. Now, in excellent news, the next episode is going to be the wonderful, the exciting... 
the incredibly silly and the foley fun filled episode that is The Final Adventure of Frankie Fightwell. Written by Chris Buxey, we performed it live at the Putney Arts Theatre on the 11th and 12th of May, and it's going to be coming at you in its purest radio play format. I'm so excited, genuinely. Um, I haven't listened to it yet. Uh, I'm awaiting its arrival, its birth as we speak. Uh, our, our wonderful sound man, the lovely Andy, is is working on it right now. Uh, but it is going to be um, as live. And you can see all the wonderful photos of, of the Foley um, and see how we created the sounds that you're going to be hearing if you go to our blog. Uh, just go to blackshawonline.com. So, gosh, what a load of stuff to look forward to. So, uh, yeah, stay excited. Maintain that peak level of excitement for the next two weeks and uh, tell all your mates. It's going to be big, big news, big time. All right. Well, I'm naturally petering out, so I'll uh, leave you leave you with that. Uh, bye. Go on. Treat yourself to something. Subscribe to the Blackshaw Arts Hour on your generic podcast resource. You deserve it.